All right. All right. Good morning. There we go. Good morning. There we go. That sounds better. Welcome to those of you outside, inside, or online. My name is Pastor Dale. I'm part of the teaching team here at Seacoast, and I have the honor of taking you into the Word right now. So go to Acts chapter 3. We're in a series called Unstoppable. It's a study of what God was doing as He birthed His church in the book of Acts. Uh, and we're going to have a great time together today as we look at what I call the miracle at the gate. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your wisdom, your word that un unveils who you are, what you're like. We pray today, uh, as we look at what can be a difficult topic, uh, I pray you'd help us, Father, to understand your power but also your love, your sovereignty, and your desire to uh, be working and changing us. Uh, so we love you. We thank you for the grace we gather under in Jesus. And we ask you to teach us now. And all God's people said amen. amen. Well, everybody likes a good miracle. I mean, who doesn't like a story that ends with God showing up, doing a miracle, and everything is great. Movies are made of it. Songs are sung about it. We hear stories in Scripture and from real life of real miraculous things. We're going to look at one of those stories today and see what we can learn from it. Not just about this story, but about miracles in general. Because a lot of times, though, when you talk about miracles, they're great when they happen, but, you know, it can, it can depress me when I pray for a miracle. And I've done this many times, and a few days later, I'm presiding, presiding over the funeral of a person that I know and love, and they and their friends prayed and believed and hoped, and it didn't happen. And in that case, the question that's usually left is, when the miracle does happen, you say, wow, why? Why God? Why me? Thank you. And then other times we ask, why God? Why not me? Why not today? And whether you're asking why, why, or why not, uh, we need to understand that we have an amazing God. One thing that's true is God is a God of the miraculous. God is not limited in His power. The Bible is full from beginning to end of miraculous stories, beginning with the creation account itself, where God miraculously creates the universe and even... Adam and Eve creates them, gives them life, breathes life into them. God is the God of creation. God is the God of mankind. God is our maker. And both creation and mankind are certainly under His command. But what's up with miracles? Listen to Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at a story that I want to give you the backdrop first. The backdrop is Acts chapters 1 and 2 that if you weren't with us, I'd encourage you to go back online and listen to the last few sermons by Pastor Ryan and Pastor Matt because it unveils the birth of the church and the unleashing of the power of God in His church. 
We see in the book of Acts this unstoppable force. We see in the book of Acts that Jesus is resurrected by the power of God. He's resurrected from the dead after dying for our sins on the cross. He spends time with His closest disciples. And then He ascends to heaven miraculously in their presence and says, I will send My Spirit upon you. And when I send My Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 said, and by the way, here's why I'm doing it. After you receive My Spirit, you will go forth and be My witnesses. But go and wait. Then we see in Acts chapter 2, God fulfills that promise and He sends His Spirit so His people can be His witnesses and and some amazing miraculous things happen that people can actually see the miracle as the Spirit of God descends. And in this case, it looks like tongues of fire and and rushing wind and, and, and they see it, they hear it, and they speak languages they've never learned. And people hear in languages they've of their own languages, the good news of the news of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And last week, Pastor Matt told us that as the church was growing rapidly, this is what was happening. Here's one verse, chapter 2, verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs, it means miracles, were taking place through the apostles. So now, not only did Jesus do these miracles, but now His apostles are doing miracles. So now, what does Luke do next in this story of Acts, the birth of the church? He says, let me give you an example of that. And he goes right to one example to illustrate how even the everyday apostles were now able to do miraculous things. Pick it up with me. Here we go. I call the miracle the power of Jesus on display. It picks up in... Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, which was the hour that Jews would be called to gather for prayer. And and they're going up to the temple. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along by his friends, whom they used to set down. They set him down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order for him to beg for alms, money, beg for money, from those who were entering the temple. So this guy has been lame, he can't walk, but not only that, he's a man who didn't just lose a limb in an accident or something, he's been lame from birth. Everybody knows him, everybody knows he's been lame from birth, because probably since he was a child even, his friends have taken him there, it's their practice to take him there, place him in this very busy intersection, uh, this gate called Beautiful was a, the, probably the eastern entrance to the Temple Mount area. It was a very busy pathway, especially during this time of the year, and even more so when it's time for prayer, and many, many would be going there. So this is a busy place, and this guy wants to maximize his time at that location and try to, try to live off what little bit of money that people would, out of compassion, give to him. What better time to hit people up for money than when they're heading for church, right? Because they're feeling like, okay, God knows me. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's time for me to show a little compassion to somebody, earn some points with God. So they're coming through the gate. And as they approach the gate, they see this man. And it says, and when he saw, he says, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them to receive alms. But Peter, along with John fixed their gaze on him. They stopped and they, they, you know, he's just asking and holding out perhaps his, his basket for money and, 
and, and instead they stop and, and they feel prompted by God, I'm sure, to stop and, and to actually engage, his, engage him. So they began to, to gaze on him, to stare at him. And then they say to him, look at us. And they began to give him their attention. He began to give them their attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Now, we're not sure what happens next, but I think the guy just is dumbfounded. He's like, are you crazy? I've never been able to walk. So notice what they do next. It says, and seizing him by the hand. They have to, they have to reach down, take his hand to encourage him. Seizing him by the hand, they began to raise him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, you've got to picture this. This guy has never walked. Undoubtedly, his legs are atrophied. This miracle is a class A miracle, I call it. There's class A, class B, class C, I don't know. But, you know, but it's a class A miracle. Undoubtedly, this man would have began to feel something is happening in my legs. And all of a sudden, muscles, which he didn't even have, suddenly began to grow and develop. And it says his, his feet and his legs were strengthened, were straightened. And all of a sudden, he, he, he let them pull him up by the hand. He, and he didn't just walk. He says, whoa, let me try these new legs out. You know, woohoo! he's leaping and jumping. And, of course, he begins to praise God because he knows this is a miracle. Done in the name of of this Jesus Christ that everybody's been talking about. The resurrected Christ was the power behind this. See, John and Peter wanted to make sure they knew this is not us doing this. We're not magicians. We're not miracle workers. Jesus is. And the man stands up, leaping, dancing, praising God. But then notice the purpose. In verse 9, there's the witness and all the people, they did this in a very public place, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being, yes, he is the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. See, God picked out an undeniable person. There, there can't be any fraud here. There can't be any pretending. This guy's not a plant to help some religious guru try to show off their magic. No, no, no. This guy has been lame from birth, and this is his place where everybody knows him. Out in public, he's, his legs are brought to life. Great story. Great miracle. Now, what do we learn from that for us, though? What are the implications for you and for me as real people living today wondering, God, wow, why did you do that? Or God, why don't you do that? Because I've been praying for a miracle, or I've prayed for a friend, and, and it didn't happen. So what do we learn about miracles, and what do we learn about our relationship to God? Let me give you five quick points, and you can write them down if you want. We'll put them on the screen. This is my takeaways. Number one, the most obvious one is this. Believe in His power and ask big. We need to believe that God can do miraculous things and still can. Same God, same Christ, 
We need to ask big. I know I've got to confess, sometimes I stop asking big. I don't ask for the miraculous. I ask for the ability to get through it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 reinforces this when it says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, that's a nice, nice string of words, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, meaning the Spirit of God that lives and works within us. So Scripture affirms that we still have a miracle-working, powerful God. Say, well, Dale, have, how many miracles have you done? I've been a pastor for over 40 years. You'd think I have a string of them. To be honest, I don't. I wish I did. I've prayed with a lot of people. I will tell you maybe one of the more amazing stories. I was in my first church, and it was in a college town, and we got word during a missions conference where we had a guest speaker. It was a Saturday that this college student had been in the hospital. He had been transferred to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center to get better treatment. He was comatose from an unknown illness. The doctors were baffled. They didn't know why. But to be honest, they didn't expect him to last long. And he'd been in a coma for several days. And some friends of his asked me, Pastor Dale, would you get down and pray with him? And I thought, sure, I'll do that. So I left the conference, drove the one-hour drive down to the UC Med Center, found his, this young man laying uh, totally comatose in ICU, went in read some scripture, and just prayed for this dear young man. I didn't know him. Laid hands on him and prayed for him. Opened my eyes. Nothing happened. So I prayed again and then left and said, well, I felt, you know, I've done what I can do. God, he's in your hands. And, and I drove the one-hour drive back to the conference where students were gathered for this conference. And as I walked in the door, I was greeted by a friend of this young man who said, Pastor Dale, did you hear? I said, to hear what? He said, we just got the call from his friends at the hospital. The bottom line is he all of a sudden woke up, set up, said, I'm hungry at what can I eat, and said, why am I here, and had no symptoms, and was released later that day from the hospital, went home perfectly fine. Now, am I a miracle worker? I don't think so. Is God a miracle worker? I think so very much. Now, was it my prayer? Was it the prayer of his friends? Was it, was it just a medical freak, and he woke up? I don't know that. I can't tell you, hey, I did a miracle. I can tell you this, though, we have a miracle-working God, and every once in a while you see these stories. Perhaps even a better one, God gave me this week. He probably knew I needed to improve my sermon, so he gave me a miracle story this week. Many of you know Mike and Nicole Yorkie, who go to church here. Well, last fall, Mike was diagnosed, clear diagnosis, with prostate cancer. Mike began to examine different options of treatment, and uh, as he did, he went in for a biopsy, and while at the biopsy, his wife Nicole was sitting in the waiting room, and she looks up at an infomercial on the TV, and the infomercial is of a, a, a person they used to know who Mike had done some writing for who writes books on uh, health and nutrition and, and natural health tips and things like that. So she, that just re, that's the first time she's thought of this guy. Well, 
a few minutes later, this guy, the very man on the infomercial, sends a text to Nicole and says, oh, by the way, I'm in Venice, Italy. I remember it made me think of you and Mike because we traveled to Italy years ago. And, uh, and she gets a text from this guy. And then the next thing you know, fast forward a little later, they didn't talk to him at all. No one talked to him that they know of. He said he calls, her on the phone, calls him on the phone and says, I was praying and God told me that you have prostate cancer. Is that true? And I said, yeah. And he lives in a different city. As far as they know, nobody told him. He just said in prayer he felt this message from God. So he calls them up and he says, well, I've got some ideas for you of some natural health issues or, or a, a special diet you can try that some people have had some success with it with cancer. And so they, uh, they decide to try this guy's special diet. So they start on the special diet. Our group that meets Wednesday morning, Mike's a part of our men's group. Uh, we're praying for Mike to get better. We're praying for it to work. The bottom line is he comes in a month later and says, well, I've been on the diet for about a month. And guess what? I got another PSA test. My numbers are going down. Wow. So then he stays on the diet another month, and he goes for another PSA test. And guess what? The numbers are going up. They're going back up. Must not be working. So he goes off the diet. Last week, Mike went in for a biopsy where they took samples from 12 regions of the prostate. This is more detail than you want. But anyway, the bottom line is this. I want you to know it was a thorough exam. They took 12 samples to try to see how much has it grown. He waits a couple days. His doctor calls. He says, Mike, um, I know you've been trying this special diet. Um, and Mike's expecting, but this is what's happened. And this, the doctor says, um, there's no cancer. You're cancer-free. We checked every part of the prostate, you're cancer-free. Doctor says, I can't explain it. Now, as far as we know, it probably wasn't the diet. Was it the diet? Was it prayer? Was it just God decided to give me a miracle for this sermon because I needed one? I don't know, but I'm thankful that my good friend today is cancer-free. And I think God does that kind of stuff. So the first lesson of the morning, the main lesson, and then I'll give you some secondary lessons, is this. Believe in God and ask big. We need to spend more time praying, asking God to move and do big things. Second point. The second point, though, from Scripture in general is this. But then accept His will and trust regardless. Number one is ask big. Number two is trust regardless of God's answers. Because the fact of the matter is, public miracles and miracle workers, like in this story, are the exception, not the norm, even in the Word of God. If you study Scripture from beginning to end, what you find from beginning to the book of Acts is if you look for people that God enabled to do miraculous miracles, they had the gift of doing miracles, okay? Here's what you find. Number one was Moses. Leading the people out of Egypt. Whole rash of miracles. Moses was a miracle-working guy. Then you come to Elijah and Elisha, the great prophets, confronting the uh, false religions and religious leaders, and they did some amazing miracles. 
And then you come to Jesus, of course, as the Son of God, displaying and proving who He is by doing miracles. And then you have the apostles, who we, we have stories like this and other stories in Acts where you'll see the apostles doing miracles. But to be honest, that's it. That's, the, that's my list. Out of the thousands of years of God working through His people, through His church now, uh, in Scripture, those are the, the, the miracle workers. Now, are there miracles? Yes, Scripture is full of miracles where God shows up and does amazing, miraculous things for His people and His church or His people Israel. And so miracles do abound, but yet the, this idea that we should all be expecting the Acts chapter 3 to happen most of the time doesn't even line up with Scripture, and I know it doesn't line up with my life. It's been too many times when I've sat and prayed with families and loved ones of people who were needing a miracle, and we pray and we believe and we know that there's no limitation to God doing this. But then a few days later, I'm doing a funeral where the miracle doesn't happen. So how do we relate to it? Number one, pray bigger, pray big. Ask big. Number two, trust regardless, knowing that it doesn't always happen. Number three, is why. And that's this. The third thing I learned, even from this story, is that public miracles often have a deeper purpose than just the miracle or the healing. Usually it's to validate, validate God's message or God's messenger or both. Now where do I get that? I get it right out of Scripture. Jesus in John 5 says this, the works or miracles that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Other times, Jesus said, if you don't believe because of my words, believe because of my works. The works and miracles of Jesus were designed not just to heal needy people. They did do that, but they were designed to give a divine testament and proof and validation that He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was God in human flesh. So he could calm the seas in a storm and he could raise the dead and he could, he could do any miracles and he did them to prove that he was the Savior we can put our faith in. There was a reason for it. Where is this taught in Scripture? Look at me or look with me with the screens or online to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. It says this, After it, the gospel, was first spoken through our Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, that is, the apostles. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles. So the, the book of Hebrews explains to us that the reason the apostles did miracles was because they were preaching a new radical idea that this man Jesus rose from the dead. He's the Son of God. He's God come in the flesh. Put your faith in Him and your sins will be forgiven. You can have eternal life through Him by His grace as a gift. That was a radical new idea. Why would anybody believe that? Well, you believe it because God sent some miracles to help confirm it. And then eventually Scripture was written to testify to it and confirm it. And we have the Word of God to read of those miracles now. And it's not that God can't still do miracles. He often does. But we can't put our faith and base our faith on the fact that we've seen miracles. 
Number four. So what is God doing? I think what God is most concerned about as I read Scripture is this. God is seeking to develop faith. A real faith that can trust in God's power, but also trust in God's love and sovereignty. You might say, trust his power and ask big, but trust his plan and trust regardless. That's what I'm getting at. Romans 8.28, uh, I won't even put it on the screens. For God tells us, promises us, that God causes all things, and it's in a passage about suffering during this life on planet Earth. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Because God is in the business of wanting to grow us, mature us, make us more like Christ. And that's what He wants. He wants a faith big enough to ask for a miracle, but also a faith that's strong enough to trust God when he says, you know, Dale, I'm not going to do it this time. Trust his love and his sovereignty. If you want to go deeper on this issue of understanding God's design for allowing pain and suffering, uh, Ryan and I uh, did a series, 2013, we did a series here at Seacoast for eight weeks on the topic. Excuse me, Siri just said she can't help me with that. Where is she coming from? She's a, oh, that's okay, it's your Siri, okay. Sorry, Siri, you're off today, it's Sunday. If you go to the Seacoast website, to the search box, and you type in these two words, just remember them, everybody hurts. Everybody hurts. It was an eight-week series on God's purposes and plans for pain and suffering in this life and His promises to someday give us an eternity without any pain and suffering. And why does He still allow pain and suffering? What good can come from that? Go into that series for eight weeks, and I think it will help grow you as a, as a believer. So what are we saying? Number one, um, ask big. We need to be praying for bigger things, for God to do bigger things here at Seacoast, in our city, in our world, through us, around us. Don't be afraid to pray for mirac miraculous things. Ask big. Number two, trust regardless. Understand that our God has a bigger plan behind miracles, and He's going to make a decision. He looks he looks at every prayer we pray, we look at it this way. We see what we want, makes sense to us. Why not do this good thing? But God looks bigger, broader, and with an eternal perspective on every prayer we pray. God is saying, what's the impact of this for other people? What's the impact of this on Dale's life and Dale's relatives and Dale's descendants? What's the impact on Dale and Becky as a couple? What's the impact on you now and forever based on whether I say yes, no, or wait in any prayer? See, I'm not smart enough to see that. So trust his love. Trust his sovereignty. Trust his wisdom. Ask big. 
Trust regardless. Understand God always has a bigger plan at work. But the final point I want to make is one that I think is vital when we think about miracles. And that is this. The greatest miracle that I've ever seen is one more person who was once dead in their sin, made alive by the grace of God forever, and transformed to love like Jesus. That's a long sentence, but it's on the screens. You can think about that. In other words, the greatest miracle is once I was dead and now I've been brought to faith and by the grace of God I've been brought alive spiritually and, and God is even shaping me to be more like Jesus Christ. Now I've got a long way to go there, but He is shaping me, He is changing me, He's increasing my capacity to love people like Jesus loved people. I'll tell you, you want to see a miracle. Look at Becky Burke, still married to Dale Burke after 46 years. That's a miracle. Because living with me, because apart from Jesus Christ, I grew up a prideful, self-centered son of a gun, or worse. It was all about me. And if I brought that into my marriage to Becky Burke, for 46 years, she would have kicked me out a long time ago. And vice versa. You see, the greatest miracle, I'm looking at him. The greatest miracle is every person that comes to faith in Jesus Christ and they're transformed and they're changed. And their love capacity to love like Jesus goes way up, way up. After the first service, I had a young man come up to me in our plaza. And he said, hi, Pastor Dale, I just wanted to say hi to you. My name is Scott. And he said, you're looking at a miracle. He says, I was so much enslaved to my addictions. I don't even know what, he, what it was, but he gave me permission to say this. He says, it was my addictions that I could not whip. And I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and he has set me free for my addictions. That's a miracle. That's as much as restoring the sight to the blind. You see, the greatest miracles are not the temporary healing of a body who's, that's going to eventually die. It's the eternal healing of the soul. It's not causing a blind man to suddenly see light. It's causing a spiritually blind person to all of a sudden see and understand as God turns on the light and he understands Jesus Christ. It's not empowering you and me to lay hands on somebody and raise the dead or raise the cripple or heal the disease. It's instead enabling you or me to learn to love with an extraordinary, miraculous love. And it's being able to love others from the heart. That's the greatest miracle. I want to end with a story of a friend of mine named Pastor Peter who's one of these miracles. Pastor Peter Wagura is a pastor in a remote northeast part of Kenya near the Somali border. It's a tough place. But he uh, had his life spared 
he feels miraculously when some Somali rebels attacked the bus that he was on and he was able to run through the jungle literally with bullets flying all around him and not hitting him. And he told God after that, in fact, his ministry is called Alive to Serve because he says, you know, God, you spared my life. I'm yours. How can I serve you? Pastor Peter has this kind of supernatural love. Pastor Peter just a couple weeks ago sent me an update where he told me a story. He, was, he had visited a remote Kenyan village, very remote, where as far as he knows, there were no followers of Jesus Christ yet. And he went there to share the gospel, the good news of Christ with a friend of his. And, and while there, the villagers had no interest in listening to him and he could not get them to, to even want to engage. And then he noticed a, a noise coming out of one of the huts. And he says, so who's that? And they said, well, don't go near that hut. None of us go near that because that woman is deranged. She's a crazy lady. And she's a crazy old woman. And she is possessed. And do not go there. He says, well, let me meet her. And Pastor Peter and his friend went to this hut. And I'll show you a few pictures that are kind of graphic, but I think they help you understand why I'm using his example. Pastor Peter went to the hut and found this woman, and she had infected feet. There were parasites all in her feet that was causing her severe pain. And there's the picture. Yeah, you kind of grimace when you see that. Those were her feet, and what they learned was there were parasites that needed to be removed. So they began to lovingly boil some water and began to bathe her feet and legs. They began to do this for her. They took her outside of her hut. The villagers began to gather to watch these two Christians literally begin to remove parasite by parasite. And by the way, she was in her hut, and when she would dig these parasites out, she was eating them to stay alive. This was gross. But the reality is they began to remove the parasites from her feet and legs and to burn them. And they showed her how to take care of her wounds. And they began to, to clean her up. And the villagers gathered. And the story ends, by the way, is now the very villagers that didn't want to hear them gathered as Pastor Peter shared the story of the cross and how God loves the crazy woman with the parasites and God loves the rest of them and he actually tells me in the story I love this quote he says this he says and Pastor Dale who would have guessed that the woman became the bridge the crazy woman became the bridge to reach this tribe and many many of them have come to faith See, what's the miracle in that story? He didn't touch her and heal the parasites. Be gone, all the parasites, get out, jump out of her feet. No, he had to sit with a razor blade and take each parasite out and destroy it and bandage her up. But as the villagers watched that act of love, they said, we want to know your God. We want to know this Jesus that would cause you to travel here to tell us about Jesus and then go to the crazy woman's hut and cut out her parasites. What, what causes someone to love a stranger like that? See, the greatest miracle that I think God wants to do is in me. It's in you. So ask big. Trust regardless. 
know that God always has a deeper thing going on. And most of all, say, God, make me the miracle. Do a miracle in me to where I can love people that are unlovely, like Jesus, and impact our world. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this incredible, miraculous story, and thank you for what your word teaches us about miracles, and most of all about your desire to, uh, to do a miracle in us. Would you change us? Shape us by the power of your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen.